Right. Hey guys, welcome back to another week of the Two Guys on Politics podcast. I'm back this week, and I'm producer Brian Brooking. Uh, and I'm Bill Lipinski, and I'm happy to see Brian's back this week and got out of Europe unscathed. And Mink, and, and I'm Ray Hannany, and it's good to see Brian back after he made those millions. Um, we're going to have to see if we can get him to fund our uh, promotion of our podcast. This guy's traveling all over, making all the money like crazy. Good job, Brian. And you invested in Bitcoin, right? I, I did. I, I own quite a lot of Bitcoin. So we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, Bitcoin and some of the news this week, and then we'll talk about the Chicago elections, and then we'll talk about who's going to be the GOP candidate for president. So, Brian, what happened with, this, uh, with Bitcoin? There was some big news this big week that was very negative for some reason. What happened? Yeah, so uh, there's there's kind of two parts to this story. Uh, the first part is the the crypto side, which is uh, one of the biggest exchanges that operated in both the U.S. and throughout the rest of the world. FTX went under. They declared Chapter Eleven bankruptcy, wow. and they've showed to have a hole of anywhere between four and eleven billion dollars in debt, mostly of customer deposited funds. So what, what this really means is we have this giant customer balance sheet that was filled up by Americans. You know, FTX owned the naming rights to several different stadiums throughout the U.S. They own the they had a partnership with the Golden State Warriors, Tom Brady, uh, Giselle, his wife. They, they were all involved with this entire scheme. And what happened was FTX was lending out customer funds to its trading wing, Alameda. And what happened was Alameda was incurring heavy losses, ended up in the whole four to 11 billion. We're not exactly sure on what the number is, but their current, C their new CEO and current CEO was the same CEO that cleaned up Enron after the Enron disaster. And he said he has never seen a worse, uh, show of corporate controls in, in his entire career, implying that the FTX situation, one of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges in the world, was worse than Enron. I was just going to say, who's running this? Bernie Madoff at the FTX? I mean, $4 billion. <clears throat> Tell us, just explain, Brian, what does that mean? I mean, that it collapsed. Did people actually lose $4 billion? That's this almost, is the uh, Brian. That's almost uh, made off. Uh, right. This this is the prices. an incredibly bad show of regulation in the space because what essentially happened was customer funds and this people have said customer funds are the one thing you don't touch as a finance entity. Right. There there are your operating expenses and the fees you can take off of customer funds. Yes, but customer funds in and of themselves should be protected. The problem is FTX would, you know, I would go to FTX, I would deposit $1,000. FTX would take my $1,000, give it to their trading wing. Their trading wing would then trade on leverage and either lose or gain a ton of money. And then what happened is they had this token called FTT, the FTX token, that was essentially an unregistered security. And the way this all triggered and the collapse started is most of their collateral on their book was this FTT token that the head of Binance, 
the now world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, realized they had no liquidity on their books, sold all the shares in the market, their FTT token value collapsed to zero, they had no collateral, and then needed to declare bankruptcy. You got to explain this in English, and I'm going to ask you if this is what you just said. Yeah, yeah, break break it down. Break it down. No, and I don't know if I got it right, but I want you to just correct me if I'm wrong. So they basically took some money that that you and me and Bill invested in FTX, in crypto, and uh, they decided, hey, we got this pool of money. Let's play the market with it to see if we can make some profit off of it. Were they making profit for the money people that like you and me or were they trying to make money for themselves number one and number two generally make it for themselves for themselves and then the second part of it was it was it illegal for them to do this yes okay all right fine okay so that was illegal and then the the other question i have is let's say they got four billion dollars in uh ftx bitcoin and they lose some money. They couldn't have lost all four billion. They must have shown a. Dr- I mean, in a trade, those trades weren't going well for them. What was it that sparked the whole collapse? Because they could have stopped. A, hey, we made some bad investments. We lost a billion. We still have three billion. What was it that made the whole thing collapse? So, it kind of goes back to first there started to be reports that FTX hasn't actually been a solvent entity since quarter four of last year. So almost a year has gone by since they've been solvent, which basically means they can, if all, if there was a run on the bank, if everyone, me, you, and they tried no to money. withdraw our funds, they wouldn't be able to resolve those redemptions. So, so this has been going on for a while then, this loss of money. And what was propping them up is they had their own unregistered security, FTT, which they could use as collateral to borrow against to basically shore up any redemptions in the short run. But this other CEO, uh, CZ is his name, of Binance, basically caught wind of this and tried to dump all the FTT token that he held, which collapsed the entire thing that they were using to solve. And he's a rival. He's a rival, right? A rival. So did yep. he do it on purpose to force them to collapse? Or So he's, he's a um, controversial figure in, in the scene, but it is generally known that he's pretty cutthroat when it comes to business. And he most likely did realize, because they offered, FTX offered to OTC, over-the-counter trade, straight up one-for-one, one, his tokens his FTT tokens back into the FTX brand. But what that would have done is allowed FTX to essentially hide their fraud even longer because they could shore that up internally. What happened is he traded at OTC or he didn't trade at OTC. He traded on the open market. So what that did is buyers like me or you would have bought this token and then it collapsed in price because there was nothing backing it any longer. Well, but this, could ahead, happened, this could have happened to any firm that collects money from the public and invested it. it. It this happened to be cryptocurrency that we're talking about with this firm, but it could have happened to uh, you know Fidelity or you know 
I don't know the other places, but it could have happened with them too. It wasn't because cryptocurrency in itself had nothing to do with it. Exactly. So that's that's the first big point I want to make here is this isn't a cryptocurrency problem. Exactly. It is a corporate controls. And if anything, it's a direct reason we need common sense regulation on cryptocurrency in the United States to prevent these kind of things happening. The biggest exchange in the US now is called Coinbase. They're a publicly traded company. You can see their balance sheet. At the end of every quarter, they're required to have auditors come in, look at their balance sheet and report to investors, consumers, et cetera, that they have enough reserves to cover you know, any redemptions that need to be made. The problem was because of the gray area, FTX moved to the Bahamas. And because they were in the Bahamas, they got around and didn't need to, you know, put a U.S. security on the market that would actually have been audited. They didn't need to basically go through the corporate controls that are required of American companies. So really, this is first, you know, a failure on FTX and a problem with FTX. But this is also a governmental failure where the right, the the Cynthia Loomis, the uh, senator from Wyoming, her bill actually lays out the exact things that would solve this situation from ever having happened if we get this passed. Well, I tell you, though, you know, I've read quite a bit about this because of, you know, your, Brian's interest in it uh, and to keep up with it. And I felt that it really had nothing particular to do with cryptocurrency. But that is not how the news media has framed this. In fact, there have been editorials in major newspapers saying this should be the end of cryptocurrency, you know, all its failings, when in reality, it has nothing to do with cryptocurrency. It's just not. And not only that, but there have been relatively favorable news op-eds in the New York Times on Sam Bankman-Fried. So SBF, as everyone calls him, was the leader of FTX. It is very clear he had a Madoff level of scam going on. But, but the one biggest thing everyone realizes after George Soros in the last election cycle, the second biggest the, donator to Brian, Democrats Sorry, I got to interrupt SBF. you. Don't, don't mention George Soros because next thing you know, people are going to say we're anti-Semitic. And I don't want that to happen to us like it happened to John Cass. Um, just we mention his name and people get angry at us. Can we just say some anonymous guy, bil- sure, sure, billionaire? Sure. Can we do that? This this dark money, number one. Two was Sam Bankman Fred. SBF was the second biggest donator to the Democratic Party in this last election cycle and essentially helped the Democrats win this last election cycle. So there, there have been these questions that have started to come up where people are wondering more and more, what is the actual you know, connection here? You can look at SBF's family, his mother, Hillary Clinton's lawyer, his father, very integrated with the Democratic Party. And, and because the number, the, these uh, acronyms are a little confusing, SBX, that's the guy that t- tubed FTX. Yeah, so and did FTX he, and is did the they, company. Did, SBF right. is the CEO SBF. of and did FTX. SBF. Oh, so F, SBF is the owner of FTX. Yes, he started so, and, FTX. So this is like 
can we blame the Democrats for doing this? In other words, I guess is what I'm getting at. So it's it's very interesting. And the biggest, you know, idea that's come out of this is there was an off the record interview that was published with SBF after this whole, you know, kind of debacle started. And he said quite literally to I think it was a Vox reporter, as long as you say all the right things, the media will love you and protect you. What was he big on? He was big on pandemic, you know, prevention. You know, he was big on COVID-19. He said all the right things. He said, he acknowledged, as long as you say the right things, the media will protect you. And we've seen that. The New York Times has given him very mild coverage for someone who has lost billions of dollars of customer, me and you, assets. I thought I saw him on uh, CNBC like last week. Yep. Uh, defending Bitcoin and saying this is it's wrong to come down on it. He was right, very aggressive. And I'm looking, I'm going. But uh, let me ask Bill, does does this undermine your uh, confidence in, you know, the, doesn't this undermine the whole Bitcoin industry, though, doesn't it a little bit? No, I think it's all a uh, conspiracy and part of the Koch brothers. Uh, <laughs> that's what a good Democrat would say at the present time. <laughs> OK. Soros Soros will be happy with with that remark there. But Brian, is this how much of this is politics? How much of this is finance? The, you know, the uncertainty of the Bitcoin, the assumed presumed uncertainty. And how much of it is a Bernie Madoff character running this place and driven by selfish greed? So I I think there's a few things to look at here. First, because of the lack of legal clarity in the U.S. FTX was forced offshore for the most part. They were forced to the Bahamas. So the first problem is the political problem of we need common sense laws on the books for cryptocurrency. What this ties into is the current head of the SEC, Gary Genslinger, was very, very favorable towards FTX, almost endorsed FTX, but at the same time, was helping an FTX-sponsored bill through the House. So I I mentioned earlier, there's the Cynthia Loomis bill, but there's also an FTX bill that people at FTX wrote that the House is still going through with after this whole debacle. So the first point is very clear that there is a political edge here. SBF had the political connections to start making essentially a monopoly for himself. But they got a little too greedy and essentially started pulling a Madoff scam and the House of Cards collapsed. So that's the important thing to know. First is political. We need the laws passed. Two, this was a scam. There's no ifs, ands, ors, buts about it. But three, the idea that this was a problem with cryptocurrency is inherently wrong because the point of crypto is that you can see all assets at all times. If you go on to the Ethereum public ledger or the Bitcoin public ledger, you can see which wallets own how much Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever crypto. It's it's public visible. Anyone, me, you, anyone else can see it. As you long see as you the know wallet. You can see the wallet, not the person exactly. who owns the wallet. Right. And is anybody, have there been any charges against this uh, S? 
He has not been taken into prison yet, which is another thing. People no are, charges, though, right? No, no charges? charges yet. Nothing yet. Is it being, in, is it being investigated? Is it being it, investigated? It okay. There, there is a kind of tension between uh, the Bahamas government and the U.S. government on who is going to handle this. I, I can assume the U.S. government will win that because they were also a U.S. regulated entity. They had FTX U.S., which was their U.S. branch. So th there was that piece where, you know, he's still out in the open right now. He hasn't been prosecuted yet. So th this whole scenario is this idea that we do need a decentralized kind of proof where we can see which wallets own what, right? And these exchanges like FTX can say, look, we own wallets X, Y, and Z. And you can be private about your own. You can have your wallet be unnamed. But FTX needs to show these things. And you can do that with blockchain. This, at the end of the day, was a misappropriation of blockchain technology, as we've seen a lot over the past six to eight months. But I think the future is still very bright. Well, I hope that there is some campaign on the part of Bitcoin supporters, cryptocurrency supporters, to get this information out as much as possible. Because as I say, I read a great deal about this. And until I asked you the pointed question today, I really wasn't sure how much a fault of cryptocurrency was this debacle. Uh, but it, now it sounds to me like it was some great democratic conspiracy and the Koch brothers are, were really not involved. It might've been someone that supports very liberal uh, state's attorneys, attorney general prosecutors like that who was involved. Yeah, this is a, it just seems, I'll tell you, Brian, when you hear the story, it makes me nervous because at least even when Bernie Madoff was running stocks, the issue was it was a regulated industry and the SEC wasn't doing its job to regulate Bernie Madoff. Madoff got through by walking the cracks, you know, of the FEC and he got around it and, and. Uh, it sounds, though, like Bitcoin isn't even there yet. It's still outside the box of regulation. So how do we know this isn't happening like with other Bitcoin companies? Well, do so we the, find, how do we know? I mean, it, it's hard to tell. So the first is Binance has basically labeled on chain which wallets they control. So you can verify they have at least some number of assets on their books. Or the other side of it is if it's a private or a publicly held company, such as Coinbase, which is a U.S. security, they every quarter have to report, we have this much money in our coffers, we can, you know, resolve these redemptions, these kind of things. So it's, it's really about showing clarity when it comes to this space in U.S. law that, you know, it was written almost a century well, ago, the securities law. So updating it for the modern age is what we need to do next. And, well, how would somebody like you or me or uh, Bill, let's say we were fictionalizing it, that we were investors, somebody basically used their money to profit from inside the company, the owner. How would, what was our responsibility to monitor our money? And how would we have even known that we, that something was going on before it was too late? So it's tough because it's a private company. FTX was a private company. And while they did have, you know, unofficial audits 
from different consulting firms in the US, they clearly were not correct. The biggest kind of boon we've seen here in the crypto industry is this phrase, not your keys, not your crypto, which is the concept that if you don't control the private key that holds the money, it's right. not your money. Even if you know there's some website that tells you you do. So it's really about self-custody. And that's the next frontier for crypto is allowing people to hold crypto themselves, not on exchanges like FTX. So I'm assuming this is going to be on American Greed on TV sometime soon, probably, right? Well, the uh, Michael Lewis, the author of you know Moneyball and you know many other great books, he was said to have been under, uh, you know, under the guise of SBF over the past six months, and he's been following him around. So there's going to be a great book coming out of this. There'll be a movie in a couple years too. Uh, this this is frankly the the latest in the saga of Enron, Madoff, this, this is the next step. Well, I think that it's amazing all the problems that uh, cryptocurrencies have had uh, since they really became known wide and people started invested in them. Uh, and every time there's a crisis, people predict that's the end of cryptocurrency. But cryptocurrency managed to survive and move on. I myself am now convinced uh, that they definitely are, you know, the coin of the realm of the future. That's where we are headed because they have overcome so many, many obstacles. And I think the U.S. government better make sure they get in there and regulate this as much as possible without crippling the growth of it. Yeah, I would say I wouldn't invest in it. Hypothetically, I was saying we were investors just for the sake of explaining it, but until it's regulated, um, at least we have a shot of protecting our money if it's regulated. Not being regulated, um, I, that would scare off a lot of people. I, I don't know. It raises some uncertainty about the Bitcoin industry. I mean, even though there are some good companies out there, obviously, that are still, but I don't know if if I buy their coin um are they going to be doing that to me are they going to be you know using the money that i've set in there with them to then try to profit and if they're doing well i may never feel it but they make one mistake and they they lose every four billion how long did it take did you think for ftx to actually lose that four billion dollars it said they were probably started losing in Q4 of last year. So starting, you know, September of last year. And then May of this year, uh, back on our own podcast, I talked about the Luna collapse, the Terra Luna collapse. It was said there was about where they were basically done. They they had no more left. And they've they've basically been riding the past four or five months out, duping people into believing. And And nobody would know. Nobody knew that was invested in them. Well, that... And part of the problem is there's actually a lot of consulting firms that did audits or apparently did audits that said they were a solvent entity within the past couple months. So the question now rises, like, how deep does this go in different, you know, even U.S.-based agencies? That was Bernie Madoff's problem. He had all these accountants and people claiming, hey, he has the money, here's the documents, but it still came down to the government, the SEC, not doing its job to do a simple little thing 
to check his account to see if, in fact, his, type his little numbers in there, and they never did that. And he lost $60 billion, although, in my opinion, we're not talking about Bernie Madoff, but all those people that said that they were making money with Bernie Madoff, it was all driven by greed. The amount of money was so much. Is that is that what's driving Bitcoin? People are so greedy about, hey, look at how much money I'm making. I don't care about you know, whether the government should regulate or not. I'm doing well and I'm making a lot of money. That was part of the problem with Bernie Madoff. The people were so satisfied with the numbers that we're getting, the greed overcame their reason. But Ray, is it, is it, I, I, you know, Bitcoin's involvement in this is almost incidental. It could have happened with any investment firm. Uh, it just happened to be Bitcoin. Uh, right. Isn't that right, Brian? I thought we yeah, so earlier. So it, it could have been, you know, any unregulated entity, right? And actually, if anything, at the end of the day, this was more of a problem with, you know, the secondary cryptocurrencies like uh, Solana was the biggest one hit, uh, Ethereum. Like Bitcoin, if anything, was the most stable in this whole situation because it's, you know, known as digital gold at this point. The, the point is the these kind of regulations just need to happen in the space so that there's due diligence that goes through so that someone doesn't get to a point where they have a $32 billion valued company that goes to zero overnight, essentially. So we this use is, the word- This is the I lack use, of regulation, not, not a crypto problem, in my opinion. Well, I always use the word Bitcoin, but isn't Bitcoin a separate kind of uh, cryptocurrency? So, so the way uh, that think FTX, about it- is FTX a separate cryptocurrency or just an investment fund consisting of cryptocurrency? So, so there's cryptocurrency is the top level, right? That's that's the technology. Like when you talk about cryptocurrency, you're talking about cryptographic proofs and, and math, right? Right. And then the first application of it came in the form of Bitcoin, or the first widely adopted one came in the form of Bitcoin. And that's why it's become digital gold. It's very simple. Bitcoin does one thing. It lets you transfer value from one spot to another through wallets, okay? Then you get FTX. FTX is in a basically custodian. Then they had a wing of it called Alameda, which was an investment firm. And what the investment firm was doing was using cryptocurrencies, derivative products, right? Things built off the original technology, but not necessarily, you know, as legitimate as Bitcoin, but trying to get there, they were using that to trade. And if anything, FTX issued its own cryptocurrency called FTT, which is how this all ended up blowing up, is they had their own unregistered security. You know, They took cryptocurrency, built the FTT token, and then traded on that value. And that was an unregulated security. But if there was clarity in the U.S. and they could have registered it as a security, we would have known long before this, the issues coming on. So at the end of the day, we need to figure out which cryptocurrencies are stocks, which are commodities, regulate them as such through the SEC and the CFTC, and then go forward into a future where cryptocurrency can dominate. All right. Any other thoughts, Bill, about this or questions? No, I have no questions about it. I just, uh, I think it's enormously interesting. 
but I think that less than one half of 1% of the American public really understands what's going on here. And the news media, once again, has portrayed this as a cryptocurrency problem, and it isn't, but I don't think they'll ever bother correcting themselves because it would be too hard. So it's kind of like a stock that just went bad south, yep. basically. One stock, as opposed to uh, cryptocurrency itself, just happened in the cryptocurrency backyard where the stock was exactly. in. Yep. All right. Any final thoughts, Brian, on this? That uh, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'll continue building in the cryptocurrency space. I'm, uh, I'm fully. Uh, I believe in the that the future is through cryptocurrency. It, it's just going to have to take these, you know, dry spells where the people who are truly building things, not just the Ponzi schemes and the you know different things. You know, greed is a powerful emotion that humans feel. And whenever there's greed, things like this happen. And when there's things that are promising, the greed comes with it. So I think we need to get past that and kind of realize and mature this technology to the point that people aren't getting rich overnight. But when we do that, it becomes a world-changing technology. All right. Um, we, the, I mean, we still have a lot of time before the mayoral elections in February 28th um, and the presidential elections in uh probably beginning in the spring here in Illinois in 2024. Um, but uh, let's talk a little bit about the mayoral elections. Ray Lopez, uh, Bill, who you knew, I think, correct? He's uh, a pretty good captain for me in my 23rd Ward Democratic Organization. Fine. He was, yeah, he's, I, I really liked him. And, you know, it's not surprising to me that he announced that he was going to quit the race for mayor because it was in the best interest of the city not to divide the field so much so that Lori Lightfoot would be a shoe-in again to win office. You don't see too many political politicians, you know, uh, actually do that, put the interests of the city ahead of their own desire. Like Jesus Garcia is really pushing himself. <laughs> I, and, I was and, say, Lopez, I think, decided that the Hispanic vote went to Chewy Garcia and he had nothing left, so he decided to be a good sport and get out and hope that Lori Lightfoot gets beaten. And, and very few of the candidates that get into this race, I don't know how any of them think they have a chance other than they're rolling the dice and saying, hey, it could happen, right? You never know. Remember Jane Byrne and Mike Belandic? Who believed Jane Byrne was going to win? And then she won. But uh, um, who's left now in this race for, you know, uh, Chicago mayor and Brian? As a young person, you know, worried about finances and stuff, does the Chicago election bother you? Because it's about crime, you know, in Chicago. It's about a lot of issues. And, you know, maybe it doesn't touch on finances, but you could be celebrating a great win in Chicago and something could happen because of the bad policies of the people that are running the city. Well, so far, we've had six individuals filed for mayor. Right. Uh, Dr. Willie Wilson, uh, he's filed over 60,000 signatures. I like Willie. I like the guy. I like the guy very much also. I wish he'd give money away a little bit further out. Oh, than more. Does, but uh, I think he's very nice. Uh, Paul, Vallis, he, Paul Vallis has filed over 40,000 uh, signatures. And I saw an observation lot. by a very keen political uh, student and advisor and John uh, 
uh, Cassis Cass. the other right. day saying that he would be a great mayor perhaps, but he's a terrible candidate and he shouldn't talk so much. I don't remember who that political pundit was. But he <laughs> that was you. Was talking about. Cass uh, was on our show a prior uh, episode and I think last week and he and you made a great observation because I agree with you, Bill, that Paul Vallis is a great guy, smart. Now, he just doesn't come across sometimes as a good candidate, you know, because you get lost in the rhetoric rather than focused on what it is that he's trying, what the message is that he's trying to give. So it gets confusing. And I think that hurts Paul. I don't know if he could uh, change it around, change his the style of campaigning to move voters to say, yeah, those are great ideas. Let's support them. Why well, don't you? who are very close to Paul in supporting him in this campaign. Uh, and I've expressed myself to both of them and suggested that they talk to Paul. Uh, I don't doubt that they will, but I doubt that Paul will understand what they're talking about because he's been doing this for 20 years or so. He has to demonstrate to everybody every time how smart he is. And people just get lost and forget about voting for him. Now, an individual who also uh, put in over 40,000 signatures was uh, Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson. And he's the one that is supported by uh, the teachers union and by a number of other unions that have been very active uh, for Democratic candidates in the past. He's a cloud candidate because I know there are a lot of political people I know that are supporting him. And But I wonder, can he appeal to voters, you think? I mean, most people don't know who Brandon Johnson is, do they? Other than his, in his district. Well, I, I don't know who he is uh, until I you know, started reading up on him because he's running for mayor. And then, of course, we still have Lori Lightfoot, who has to get on the right foot to win. Uh, she hasn't filed. And then the you know, 800-pound gorilla, Chewy Garcia, he hasn't filed either. Uh, I believe that unless a miracle occurs and Paul Karras, Paul, excuse me, Paul Vallis stops babbling on and on, Chewy Garcia will be the next mayor of Chicago. You think Chewy can just beat Mayor Lori Lightfoot? Because, you know, I, I, I love Chewy. I, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with him, but he's a very principled guy. When I got in my fight with the Chicago Sun-Times, Chewy Garcia was the only guy that stood up and, and demanded that the mayor, you know, publicly expose the role that he played in pushing me out of that, my job at the Sun-Times. So on a personal level, I, I admire Chewy for standing up for my rights back in 1990, you know, back in, uh, at that time. But his problem is he's all over the place. He's an alderman, he's a congressman, a Cook County commissioner. Now he wants to run for- state senator. Now he wants to run for mayor. It's like he's, is he building a resume of jobs or is he actually the right guy to run the city of Chicago? And he is the 800 pound gorilla in terms of name recognition, I think, but um, I don't know what his ideas are. He's been in office so long. What does Chewy Garcia stand for in terms of, you know, what is he going to do for taxpayers? What is he going to do for people? Brian, does the name Garcia, Jesus, I know, has an impact, but Jesus Garcia, does that have an impact on young voters, you think? Um, young voters, I don't necessarily know. 
I, I think at the end of the day, young voters more than any other age bracket are going to be more likely to overlook Lightfoot shortcomings and still vote for her. There um, you go. So to me, I don't feel like Lightfoot is going, so someone's going to have to run a very good campaign to unseat Lightfoot here. Of good issues, right? Right. And to me, the Johnson guy who has got the teachers union seems the most likely to me. I think Chewy is most likely, you know, he's a U.S. congressman. He controls that area of the city very, very well. But is he going to make his way to the north side and, and win those, you know, areas where Lightfoot dominated, absolutely dominated right. in the last election. And I don't think the he's going to win that area. I think it's going to have to be the, the Chicago Teachers Union candidate that would win there. So for me, it's a race between those two. Um, but there, there's still a lot of time. She, and, you know, she always liked a celebrity candidate. Uh, Paul Vallis is like the issues candidate. He just can't convey it very well. Chewy's a celebrity candidate with no issues. Um, Willie Wilson is the moneyed candidate with all the money. Brandon Johnson has the backing of the seats, you know, the teachers union, which has been fighting with City Hall forever. You know, that's not a new fight. So is there anybody that has any great, I mean, there are other candidates like, um, I think, uh, where did I read uh, uh, Eugene, uh, Roderick Sawyer, the son of the former mayor, Eugene Sawyer from the Sixth Ward. He wants to run, but I, I just don't see where he's going to get the base. Uh, the Fourth Ward Alderman, Sophia King, is another one that I've I seen her name. Um, and uh, she was appointed by Rahm Emanuel, who's now the uh, U.S. ambassador to Japan. Um, you know, but uh, I don't see anybody with any... Isn't oh. Bill, isn't elections about great ideas? Who has no, a great idea? Is, no, an election is about convincing as many people as possible to vote for you, whatever way you manage to do it. Uh, I, I think a key in this mayoral election will be, what does Tom Tunney do? He talked about running, as we all know, he's gay, he's been openly gay for a long time. He has an awful lot of support in the gay community because he has moved their issues along a great deal. If he comes out for someone other than Laurie Lightfoot, I think that that hurts her very much in the gay community. And I think if that happens, that knocks her out of the runoff, quite frankly. I think the runoff then is going to turn into Chewy Garcia and somebody else. Maybe Paul Vallis, maybe the guy supported by the uh, teachers union. Uh, Brandon. Yeah. Yeah. But I also, if... Uh, Tony doesn't really do anything in this election, then I think it comes down to Garcia in Lightfoot. And first of all, I don't think that that many young people are going to vote in this election. Okay? So I don't think that that's going to help Lightfoot very much. I supported Lightfoot, you know, when she first ran. I remember telling a close friend of mine with the initials of MM that she was going to be the next mayor of Chicago. I was right. But she is a very, very big disappointment to me. Yes. She has not brought people together. She has driven people apart. In the city of Chicago, 
needs everyone to be working together to quite truthfully save it from becoming another Detroit. I, I remember in the last election for mayor four years ago, uh, Lori Lightfoot didn't impress me with any major ideas. But what made her stand out was that one commercial where her daughter was dancing in the background and everybody talked about it. Oh, yeah. Every person I knew, regardless of who they supported, they were talking about the commercial. And I've yet to see anything of that impressionable significance, you know, in any of the candidates that are running. Um, the only reason I think that uh, Willie Wilson has a chance is he has the money and he gives away the money and he gives, he's like, I don't want to compare him to Pritzker because I think um, uh, Willie, Dr. Willie Wilson has much more principle than Pritzker does. Pritzker bought his every election that he's ever wanted, except for one back in the 90s. But I think that Wilson has the money and the wherewithal um, to actually fund a candidacy. I just am waiting for somebody to tell me, what is it that you're going to do? And I'm going to say, wow, or are we just going to wait for another dancing daughter in the background to grab everybody's attention and get her votes? Well, I supported Lightfoot when she first ran, because to me, she came across as being calm, cool, and competent. As it turns out, she doesn't have any of those qualities whatsoever. <laughs> All right. And then uh, somebody that was in politics for you know, a long time definitely can misread candidates. All right. All right. And what about well, let's let, go ahead, Brian. Well, one one point on that that I, I want to mention. So you, you say she did come off as, you know, calm, cool and collected. Um, and whether or not you believe that or not, I think this is kind of the first year we've come out of the pandemic. And, you know, with that momentum, you you get to have her say, I led us through the pandemic and whether or not her policies had anything to do with it. The pandemic is now over in America. It is over in Chicago and she gets to claim victory. And I think that's going to be hard to overcome. I, I don't think it would be a factor whatsoever in this election uh, because I don't think any Chicagoans are going to give her credit, you know, for what happened during the course of the pandemic. But let me, let me uh, change course here for a moment. Do either one of you know what happened 59 years ago today? If I can do the math, what year are we talking about? 1963. <laughs> uh, well, uh, that was uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, uh, JFK. Uh, when was when it was when was Kennedy assassinated? Was that in 62, 63? 59 years ago today is the day he was assassinated. Wow, can you and imagine? How we, how we that now, were you yes. born? Right? Yeah, you were born then. This is the first year, actually, to be honest with you, that it didn't occur to me that JFK's assassination date was today. I didn't even think of that. That's the first time because his assassination was so impressionable. You know, on my life as a young kid watching him, you know, watching the assassination on TV, you know, live when Lee Harvey Oswald was killed. Uh, when the video came out showing Kennedy being killed um, and the, you know, uh, Kennedy's wife bloodied standing next to LBJ on the plane getting sworn in and all the conspiracy theories that I still believe are substantial and unanswered by the uh, 
cover-up <laughs> caused by the Warren Commission. <laughs> place, huh? I am not going to ever let go of that belief that the mob and the FBI weren't somehow in an uncoordinated cahoots. The FBI what, what hated the, JFK. The CIA. Were the C, was the CIA involved? No, the, the FBI hated JFK, so they didn't give him the protection. LBJ in Dallas, Texas, the police hated LBJ. And when they saw signs of the mob activity, they didn't do anything. And the mob hated LBJ because they always felt that they were betrayed after they stole the election in Chicago to make him the president. And then he appointed his brother, Robert F. Kennedy, as the attorney general, who immediately turned on the mob and said, they're the number one enemy and we're going to destroy them. You can't tell me that a guy like Lee Harvey Oswald walks into a, a, a smoke and a tornado tsunami like that and just happens to shoot the guy. I'll never believe that. Okay, well, we should open. Listen, not the Republicans control the House. Maybe you can get them to open up a new investigation of the. I, Kennedy I wish they. I wish they would. I wish they would. But they're going to be busy looking into Hunter Biden's role in making money in the Ukraine and China um, in the same way that the Democrats were looking at Jared Kushner's uh, investments in uh, the Middle East and other countries. So I, I don't know this uh, any the Republicans. I know we're talking about who's going to be the Republican candidate, but are we also talking about are we just assuming that Biden is going to be the Democratic candidate? I think Biden had such a smashing victory two weeks ago that the Democrats cannot possibly deny him renomination as president. That's well, another, that's another I, break the Republicans got out of that election. They're going to get Joe Biden as the Democratic candidate. But he lost the House. I mean, I know that it wasn't the big red wave that everybody expected. They still came close to the, winning the Senate. They didn't. A lot of people remember, even you, Bill, said you thought there was a chance they would win the Senate, but they still won the House. How is it a big loss for the Republicans when they took over the House? No, I said it was a big victory for Joe Biden. I didn't say it was a victory or a loss for the Republicans. Joe Biden okay. though, has to get credit because he was the president. And everybody, right. including I, predicted that the Republicans would pick up over 27 seats in the House and gain a seat or two in the Senate. That didn't happen, okay? So who gets the credit? Joe Biden. Don't poo-poo that. We want to see Joe run again. I don't know. I'm going to tell you what. I can see a lot of people staying out of this election by, because they're bored by the uninspired candidates that are on both sides, Trump and Biden, who, unless somebody steps up, as we've always been talking about, somebody in the center, uh, maybe DeSantis, maybe Manchin, uh, if they would come together and create a movement, wow. But I, it's just not happening. We don't see it. Brian, so what do you think? A long way to go. What about Nikki Haley? What about the new uh, governor of uh, Virginia? What about your good friend, Liz Cheney? What about Mike Pence? Uh, what about Losers. Uh, you're going through a long line of losers. Oh, Liz Cheney, even Mike Pence, I think Mike Pence destroyed himself by not announcing his candidacy the proper way. Instead of looking like he's a tool of the left wing media attacking Trump the same way Liz Cheney did 
Um, I don't think that benefits anybody on the Republican side to attack Trump. But a guy like Glenn Abbott, how about him? Who is it? Glenn Abbott, governor of Texas, right? Governor of Texas. I don't even know him. Greg Greg Abbott. Greg Abbott. I don't know him and I don't care. You could have said Glenn Levitt. I might have said, oh, I love that. I know whiskey. I know who you'd like to see run for president on the Democratic side. You're very good friend. Pritzker. Oh, God. You're making me choke. Let me take a, a, a swig of uh, Ukrainian vodka here, because before we go, I want to talk about Poland and what happened there. But the presidential race, um, that's, okay. uh, it just it's a circus. It's still a circus. And, and I think Biden might win just by default. Uh, I agree on that standpoint. I, I think at the end of the day, it becomes a Trump versus DeSantis. Um, then the question becomes, does DeSantis really want to play around with Trump or just get a fresh take at the White House four years later after an 85-year-old Joe Biden leaves office, um, which seems a little bit better than basically you know, alienating the, the Trump party part I, of the Republican Party. I, I agree with that. You're going to have to find somebody that's really got courage on the Republican side to run against Trump in the in the Republican primaries, no question about it. Well, there, there's some people that have the courage, but in addition to courage, they need to have the talent and the good ideas. And because Pence, I think, wants to run, and I, you know, he has the courage, but I don't know if it's because he was pushed out by Trump or he's angry with Trump or he's trying to do a Liz Cheney, but he just doesn't have any good ideas, and he bores me to sleep. You know, every time he opens his mouth, it, it's like, oh, my God, I, I, am I going to listen to this guy for four years? I can't do that. What, what about well, the holy man that matches Fritzker pound for pound? That's the former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie. What about him? I, you know, he, listen, he's another guy that proved that he didn't have the uh, courage four years ago to run. He just failed uh, six years ago when Trump, you know, won. Bailed, took an appointment for a while, I think, right? He just kind of curried favor with uh, Trump and then then broke with him again. And it's like, I don't know. I, I just can't see him doing much either. I guess out of all of them, DeSantis is the one guy, It's a, it depends on him. Um, if he does something, maybe there'll be a race on the Republican side. Well, let's hope I think that- the, the other way you can look at it too, is uh, I think to win the Republican primary and the general, you need to beat Trump, which partially means you kind of got to go into the Trump dirty water and somehow beat him. Yeah. Take the Trump followers and then go to the general with that group while still appealing to independence. And I think the, to me, the most likely to do that is Nikki Haley. I think she's, over the past couple of years since leaving office, has shown she can go to the Trump side and appeal there. And I think with a few well-timed hits, she can knock Trump out and then come just enough to the center to win the general against Joe Biden. I I would not argue with that. I'm Arab. I don't like her. (laughs) What what is she Indian? Because of her Middle East policies, her vicious anti-Arab, anti-Christian Arab, I've got to remind people, 
that there are Christian Arabs that have taken a beating under the Israelis. And uh, Nikki Haley was part of that. She was like Hillary Clinton. And I think she'll be more like Hillary Clinton than a savior for the Republican Party. But I, what I do just, I know? I just love when we get into this Middle East stuff. I really, really <laughs> we, we, we never get into it. We never we, we should one time we should get into it. But I don't want to drag us in there. But listen, uh, let's just for a few minutes, let's talk about what was your reaction to the uh, missile that landed in Poland? It killed uh, two uh, Polish citizens. Uh, at first, they thought it was a Russian missile. Then they thought maybe it was a Russian missile that had been deflected by a Ukrainian missile. And then they thought maybe it was a Ukrainian missile that went awry and landed in Poland. What do we make of that? Or are we just past that at this point? Everybody but the president of Ukraine believes it was a Ukrainian uh, anti-missile uh, rocket that wound up landing in Poland. Now, the president of the Ukraine doesn't believe that because the president of the Ukraine, I believe more and more, its philosophy is on to Moscow. That's what he wants to do. He wants to take out Putin in Moscow. Uh, and I think we start, should start looking very hard at how far down the road we're going with the president of the Ukraine. And, and that is... I, I don't agree with it, but that has become a political issue of kind of like an undertow political issue among some of the presidential candidates on the right, hasn't it? There have been yes. a lot of Republicans saying, why are we wasting all this money? Why are we spending all this money? Um, I don't know. I, I just don't like the idea of backing a war criminal, you know, in Russia, doing him a favor and allowing him to keep parts of the Ukraine, uh, even if Zelensky is... The guys fought for nine months, this two days, it'll be nine months uh, in a, a war that was supposed to only last three days. But there are the Polish people, did that incident anger, uh, you think, Polish support for the Ukraine? Or because I know everybody has been still saying, regardless of where the missile came from, it's still Russia's fault that they well, that's, started that's the war. I don't, I, I don't disagree with that. It is Russia's fault. No, Poland is 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 a has been very strong supporter of Ukraine. Yes, they have. Poland now is getting to the point where they have so many Ukrainians in Poland. It is getting to be a financial burden on the Polish government to take care of all of these people. So the Poles now are asking good old Uncle Sam, you know, to come forth with some money to help take care of these poor Ukrainians that are living in Poland. So that's more pressure on the U.S. government to produce more money. So we have to go back to the Treasury and print some more dollars, thereby inflating the economy even worse and having our food cost more, our gas cost more. We have to negotiate somehow to get out of this situation before it costs us far too much. Now, I know I've been saying this for months. So has Brian. I'm not talking about selling out to Ukraine, but I'm also saying, let us be realistic about it. The only reason they're in the position they're in now is because of everything that we have given them. Yes, the people have been very courageous. I honor them for that. But let's come to a settlement here. This cannot go on forever. Uh, we, didn't have this we didn't have this attitude during World War II, did we? You know, where there were people saying, hey, 
why are we fighting with the Nazis and the Japanese? It's bad. We're spending a lot of money, losing a lot of men. They Obviously, it was us. At us. The, yes. The Germans and the Japs both declared war. There was something called Pearl Harbor, if you remember that, right? I do, I do remember it. But um, today's warfare is done in a different way. I think Russia has declared war on us indirectly, and I perceive him as a threat. To me, as an American, I think he is a threat to America. I agree. He's he's a threat. But uh, a couple of things. One, I think the last total we've given, what, $91 billion to Ukraine uh, through several, two or three different laws. That's or, what you know, crypto, cryptocurrency loses $4 billion in a night. No, What's no, no, no. 91 that, billion? That's, that's not the point. The point is that's more than the Russian military spends on their army. We've <laughs> given the Ukrainian army. More money than the Russians have. Okay, so the first point is we've more than you know covered the military cost of this war in Ukraine. I spent you know two and a half weeks with a Ukrainian national I was in Europe about that. traveling throughout. So we over a couple of late nights, uh, bottle of wine, talked you know deep into the night about you know. The goings on and what's going on. And he's told me stories. His he and his family have raised, you know, millions of dollars and sent, you know, anything from body armor to thermal goggles to, you know, different types of medical aid over to Ukraine through Poland. And so we've we've talked and you know, he's a good friend of mine. So I could say he's he's a little uh heavy headed on on the situation. And th- this is his kind of determination is Russia has about 18 to 24 months worth of shells where they can continue shelling the Ukrainian territory. After that point, there's nothing that stops the Ukrainians from pushing all the way through the Donbass, all the way through Crimea and on to Russia. You're giving me hope, Brian. Thank you. Go ahead. The question is, can Ukraine exist as a country for 18 to 24 months? One, without economic aid, because we're hitting the point where the economy of Ukraine doesn't exist anymore. So it's going to be economic aid, not just military aid that we need to start providing. Our allies, such as Poland, are brunting some of that cost, but we're going to really pay for it in the end. So the question is, and the question he, or the, the statement he makes is, there is no end except Russia decapitating the head. In, in a sense, either taking out Putin or removing Putin, whatever it takes. At the end of the day, then you look at that and say, what happens in that situation? Is that good for the U.S.? Does the U.S. want Russia to destabilize? Because at that point, it could break up into several different, you know, stands and be, you know, four or five new nuclear powers throughout the world rather than just one in Russia. So to me, at the end of the day, and this is the point I've consistently made is, I think we need to realize that Crimea will not become Ukrainian territory again. I think we can look at the history and say, yes, at different times, Ukraine has controlled Crimea, but so has Russia throughout history. So there is some historical relevance to them controlling that territory. And at the end of the day, it's the U.S. military, the U.S. intelligence that's propping up Ukraine. It's not Ukraine fighting for itself. If it goes tomorrow, all advancements go. So I think Biden needs to take the political bullet 
He needs to say, we're done with this war. Cut it off. Say, you know, you get some portion of the Donbass, you get Crimea, and we call it a day. And then we rebuild Ukraine for the future. What do you think, Bill? Uh, well, I'm not willing to give the Russians today anything except Crimea. Because as far as I'm concerned, Crimea has been part of Russia a lot more than it's been part of the Ukraine. And most of the people, if not all of them in the Crimea, Russian is their first language. They would prefer to be with Russia. On top of that, it's the biggest naval base that the Russians have. They're not going to give that up. They will fight to the bitter end to save that. So I think that that's what we give them in a deal. Uh, but I think the biggest stumbling block to a deal is the president of the Ukraine. I believe that, you know, he feels so empowered that he wants to take down, you know, Russia. He wants to take down Putin. I don't think it's in our best interest to do that. It was in our best interest to defend the Ukraine. We have done that. Let us settle down so we can work on our real adversary, the Chinese, okay? I, I don't think uh, that there is any compromise with the Russians. Any effort to talk compromise is just a strategy on his part to expand his influence. He will not accept any kind of peace with Zelensky because he looks like an idiot. He looks like a failure. Um, I say that we give Ukraine another nine months and another $91 billion. And we set a timetable uh, to see results. And I think the Ukrainians can produce those results, at least push back the Russians back to the border. And I think they could do that. But anyway, listen, we've been going in for, well, this has been our longest, but go ahead, Bill. You get the final word. To, well, what I want to say is that uh, a man who was enormously helpful to Rich Daly becoming mayor of Chicago, yeah. uh, Tim Degden, yeah. former state senator and former, let's be honest about it. Streets and sanitation. For Richard M. Daly, a man that was really an individual who helped get Daly elected to a great degree, who also did a terrific job for him in the first four or five years of his administration because he knew people, he understood people, he was honest, he was direct with people, passed away. Uh, yes. uh, I was surprised because I haven't talked to Tim probably in six, seven, eight years, but I was surprised how hard it hit me. But I remember back in the days when we were trying to elect Rich Daly, state's attorney, when we were electing him mayor of the city of Chicago, how close I worked with Tim and how much I respected and admired him. And I wanted to make sure I mentioned his passing. And I think, Ray, yeah. you knew something yeah. about him too. He was a great guy. And when Daly was first elected, he was basically the chief of staff. Oh, he was a guy that you would go to. Um, he could reason with Daly. Daly listened to him. He had reasoned ideas on how to run the city. And he was such a moderation those first few years. I think uh, part of the problem was his when he left, I think that Daly started having most of his problems. And uh, But you're right. Uh, I'm surprised that there isn't more being said about Tim Degnan. Um, you know, unfortunately, this is the thing about living too long in life because the audience, a lot of people out there don't remember who he is. That's and right. that, that really is a shame. Maybe I was thinking of writing about it. Maybe you might also, Bill, because he was a great guy. Well, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think we, right. 
we both should do that. All right, listen, we should end it here. I want, I, I'm Rehan Ania. I'm Bill Lipinski. I'm Brian. And we will talk to everybody again next week with another exciting program uh, uh, here at Two Guys on Politics with our producer, uh, Brian Broking, back from his vacation. I'm sure where he was making a lot of cryptocurrency profits. Thank you, back guys. Back in American talk- Shores. <laughs> All right. Thank you. We'll talk to everybody again later. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. <laughs>